0: This sound recording is protected through international copyright, Dr. Cindy Mason, and RadioAI.net. 2023, all rights reserved. Radio AI. RadioAI.net. The public resource for artificial intelligence literacy by the people who do AI. In this Radio AI podcast, we'll hear from Catherine Elkins, a professor of humanities, comparative literature, and scientific computing at Kenyon College, where she directs the oldest interdisciplinary program, the Integrated Program for Humane Studies. And she is a founding co-director of the AI Digital Humanities Laboratory. Her current research focuses on natural language processing using the latest deep learning methods. And she has a new book out, The Shapes of Stories, where she developed a method for creating the shape of a story, an emotional shape of a story using sentiment analysis. And she's going to be talking about GPT, large language models, and some of the deeper questions that a lot of us have right now around this new publicly available chat and generative AI. But she's also gonna give us a little bit of insight into her work on sentiment analysis and the shape of stories.
1: Hi, this is Katherine Elkins for Radio AI. You may have heard a lot about ChatGPT and these large language models, and it's incredibly hard to disentangle. uh, Are they terrible? Are they really not that great? Is this old technology? um, Or are they amazing? Uh, And is it the end of the college essay? So uh, there's some misconceptions about this. Um, We're really moving from one paradigm to another. Um, and there are still some experts who are pretty dedicated to the old paradigm. So I wanted to just give a brief overview of some of the misconceptions, uh, strengths, weaknesses, and really think about how to make sense of these very different perspectives that you may be hearing and how how to sort out uh, who's right in all of this. Because to a certain extent, everybody's right. Um, And that may be Hard to understand now, but by the end of this episode, I think it will all become clear. So one of the common misconceptions is that this uh, chat GPT and these large language models um, are just searching. They're like a large database. They have all this information, all this language, and when you ask it to write something, it just goes in, searches, and pulls out what it needs. Um, That is a, a huge misconception. Uh, These neural nets are loosely modeled on the brain. They don't work exactly the same way as our own brain works, Um, but they're not storing memories, they're not storing data in the same way that that we're not searching our own database when we're trying to remember. In fact, all we are doing is we are feeding it a ton of language and then asking it to produce some based on that exposure. So they're actually extremely expensive uh, to make. It's really, really tricky to get all that data. One of the reasons why uh, we're getting uh, this now, neural nets were first uh, thought about uh, decades ago. Um, It's not a new architecture, uh, but we didn't have enough training data. We didn't have enough compute power. Uh, There were reasons why we really couldn't get it to work. And now, uh, thanks to the internet, we can uh, have a huge amount of text data. And this is allowing us to train these large language models. Um, And just through exposure, they're able to do pretty amazing things. Um, For example, um, we knew pretty early on that GPT-2, that's the earlier version of GPT uh, that's in chat, it could uh, translate things uh, from French. It had never been taught French. It just picked up enough. In its training data to actually be able to add some French and to translate it, it made up acronyms. Sometimes they were a little wrong, um, but it was doing that, and it could count. Now, uh, some people will tell you, well, it's terrible at counting. Uh, yeah, it's actually not very good. It's not a calculator, and that, that's pretty fascinating. Why is it terrible? Well, it was never taught to count, and it uh, counts and makes the same kinds of errors as you might see in a young child who's just learning to count. Um, so that's, that's pretty amazing too. You know, um, we could have computers do calculations uh, very, very quickly, and people thought decades ago that language would uh, very, very quickly be solved. And in fact, language has proved to be one of the trickiest things. Um, and so you know it really is probably the thing we really have to solve to get closest to AGI. AGI is um, artificial general intelligence where the AI would be better than humans at all things and right now we have narrow AI although um, these large language models are pretty amazing at what they can do. So um, it doesn't store anything, it also doesn't recombine now, if you overtrain it, and we have had a few, uh, you know, experiments with that, where you essentially chop off the last layer of this neural net and you give it the kind of text that you want it to write. So we've done that with everything from Taylor Swift lyrics to Chekhov. Um, if you train it for too long, you will what's called overfit the data, and it will actually start. Uh, plagiarizing and reproducing the text. Um, But if you really watch carefully, uh, that won't happen. So there is a misconception that it's recombining existing text. um, And that is absolutely not true. Uh, Earlier ways of trying to generate text did do a little bit of that and they basically produced a word salad. So um, I still remember the day that I I saw GPT-2 and worked with it for the first time and it just knocked my socks off. It was just unlike any of the other language generation that I had seen. And it was clear to me, and this was many years ago now, that this was something entirely new. Now, is it true that this is not a new uh, technology? That's absolutely right. Neural nets have uh, been around for a very long time. Um, But as I said, no one expected it to work this well, and that has been the surprise. So another thing that might be helpful to think about is that there was an earlier paradigm. This paradigm was somewhat inspired by Noam Chomsky and the notion of a universal grammar. And so computational linguists were trying for years and years to Um, give enough rules to a computer that it could actually generate language and process language. It was rules-based, used logic, and in fact, uh, it did not work very well. Um, It worked okay, um, but it turned out that a rules-based system, expert systems, were not really the best systems for language or vision. And these neural net architectures, these deep learning architectures with massive amounts of data have uh, taught us what's often referred to as Sutton's bitter lesson. That is that you can have all of these experts with decades of training trying to teach computers using their rules and their domain knowledge, but you can usually do much better by giving it no rules but a ton of data. And that's often referred to as Sutton's bitter lesson. So I mean one of the most fascinating things about these large language models is we could not teach it how to do that. We don't know how to tell it how to do what it's doing. Right? So that's a pretty extraordinary thing. Um now I don't want to overhype it. There's also a tendency to move the goalposts. So um People who are seeing ChatGPT, you may be amazed by it, but I guarantee uh, that after you work with it for a while, you'll see that it does have some failings and um, it will become old hat pretty quickly in the same way that our spell check and even Grammarly um, seem pretty uh, simple at this point. Um, So I don't want to overhype it. But I also want to emphasize that I think that the computational linguists are wrong when they call it a stochastic parrot, um, that that actually is not exactly what is happening. Now, stochastic, yes, uh, it is stochastic. um, But, you know, parrots uh, are really just using existing language back to us. Um And this is uh, using language in novel and unusual ways that I don't really think applies. The stochastic is true. And you know, um, I have colleagues who are mathematicians who will say it's really not that great because all it's doing is predicting the next word. And this is true. All it's doing is uh, statistically predicting the next word. Um, But the best joke that I heard about that is, you know, when when a mathematician says that, you can say back to him or her, well, that's all your grandma is doing is statistically predicting the next word. We have to remember that we don't really understand how language works. We don't really understand exactly how we produce language. And it could be that there is a statistical element to, um, a predictive element that is working in our own language production, Um, And, you know, just because we can explain mathematically that that's what it's doing, it's still very surprising that it works so well. The other thing that's been really surprising is people thought it would plateau As the models grew bigger, and we've seen this with other technologies, that we would make the language model uh, bigger—that is, a larger neural net, feed it more data—and that means it learns a lot more weights and biases. This is, this is, you know, just like synapses in your brain, it's storing these weights and biases. Um, We would just feed it a lot more data and eventually it would, it would not perform that much better. And in fact, what has been surprising is that uh, scaling the model, increasing the model size, we are still seeing performance gains. Um, so that has been a big surprise, but that said, um, you know, there is a real question about whether we keep scaling the model and make it bigger and bigger and whether we can get to AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. Or whether we're gonna to have to add something else. Right now, uh, you may be noticing um, that one of its biggest flaws is that it will make things up. It will get things completely wrong. Uh, it will do something that's called hallucinating, that is, talk about a reality that has no basis in our reality. Um, and, you know, this is really a flaw. For sure part of it is that if you ask it something that wasn't in its training data it will know nothing about it so there is a limited amount of knowledge um, on which it can draw from and um, it is true that we might end up going back to some of those earlier models of uh, giving it some domain knowledge this could be some basic physics in some of our experiments for example um, It would do things like pick up the phone twice without hanging it up, right? It needs to know that you have to hang up the phone uh, in this screenplay before you can have somebody pick it up again. Um, But it's also fair to say that it has more knowledge than we expected. For example, uh, we did some experiments with one of our students who's a creative writer. And she gave it a prompt that was describing uh, some men on a boat and the sea was inky black. It knew that the sea was not made of ink. Um, It knew that these men on a boat were likely fishermen. It knew that when they pulled up the net and there was a body in it, that that was unusual. It knew that fishermen usually spend a couple days out at sea before they can return. Um, There were all kinds of things that it seemed to know. It knew about human emotion. all of these kinds of things. So it really is a vast understatement to say that it's not intelligent. Is it intelligent like a human? Um, Probably not. It definitely is lacking some knowledge. Um, The question is, what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, I have not played yet with Google BARD, Which was just released last night, so it remains to be seen. Uh, but the rumor is that they have added an ability to go out and search the internet. Um, and certainly you can already do that with chat if uh, there is a way to, to do that. So once we add that search function to kind of ground it in a reality, that's going to be different. And if we add uh, these knowledge graphs or some kind of infuse it with some kind of knowledge system, that also is going to give it a grounding. The other thing to keep in mind is that um, chat was designed with specific uses in mind. It is a little bit different from GPT-3 that you can also play with. Um, If you go into GPT-3 and you're working with it, uh, you can change some of these, what are called hyperparameters. Those are ways that we can toggle with the level of surprise and these various elements. So um, chat uh, in the beginning when they first released it had lots of creative capabilities but also produced a lot of results that I'm sure OpenAI would not like all of us uh, finding on a day-to-day basis, you know, how to make a bomb, uh, how to hijack a car, uh, how to kill your grandmother. These are not things that they really want chat, uh, giving people directions on. And so uh, they were clearly monitoring Twitter where everybody was releasing their really surprising results and they shot that down fairly quickly. One other thing to remember is that um, the example of Ty, uh, a chatbot that was released and spewed all kinds of racist and hateful language very quickly um, because the humans were prompting it to do so. And so, you know, this is one reason that it's rumored that Google did not release its large language model for years. Um, Everybody does not want a PR nightmare. That first it can uh, quickly, if, if you don't have the right rules in place, Uh, answer questions that it doesn't want the chatbot to answer. It is stochastic, which means it's statistical, and it's going to sample from different answers. And some of those answers may be more unusual and have language uh, that they don't want. And so very quickly early on with chat, they did uh, seem to tamp down very quickly on those kinds of responses. What it means is you're not seeing the full model. You're not seeing the creative potential. we have done some experiments with Dolly too, where you can actually see a lot more of that because they seem to have fewer filters on it. So, um, you know, yes, it's not AGI, it's not artificial general intelligence, but it works pretty darn well uh, considering. Does have a little bit of a problem with factual reality, and um, I can guarantee that anything you notice that is not working very well, um, uh, they are working to improve. The last thing I'll end with is uh, right now it has trouble maintaining some kind of narrative cohesion over time. So, you know, people are saying, okay, well, it can write a couple pages, but it can't write, you know, a whole a whole novel or such. This is true. Um, one of the most interesting things when they they had, I guess I'll call it a breakthrough with this neural network. One of the the things that they did is actually give it what's called an attention head. So earlier models were working towards memory, giving it some, what is often called a long short term memory. Right where it maintains a memory of what came before. But those LSTMs they're called, really still didn't perform that well. Um, and the breakthrough was uh, discussed in a paper that's called Attention is All You Need. And it turns out that adding an attention head to essentially give the AI a sense of what to pay attention to, that, that some words, some parts of a sentence, some are more important, Um, you know, was much more effective. So that was really pretty fascinating. But it's still true that maintaining that narrative cohesion over time, the kind of formal structure uh, is challenging for it. Um, But if you think that this will never happen, what I would tell you is that we've been doing a lot of research on what gives narrative cohesion over time, and in particular, the shapes of stories. And you can read about this in a book that came out last June and July, 2022 with Cambridge University Press called The Shapes of Stories. So uh, for thousands of years, we have thought that stories had shapes, um, and it turns out that they do, and we can now computationally surface those shapes. And the shapes don't work exactly how we thought they would. People were really trying to find the shape of a story in plot and plot elements. Uh, But we had this tool called sentiment analysis that is used, uh, for example, to know in product reviews how people feel about things. And it turns out that this same tool can be used to surface the shapes of stories. It's not actually giving us, we call it an emotional arc, but it's not actually emotion uh, in the sense that we know what the emotion is, whether it's anger joy or sadness. Uh, But it is modeling the shape uh, by surfacing sentiment that is just more like affect, positive and negative feelings. So we can see the shapes of stories, and we can even see that many really uh, successful stories have somewhat similar shapes, although each story has its own unique uh, fingerprint. But it's just a matter of time before we teach an AI that can already generate language what this shape would look like and how to create this shape. Um, and we're already working on something called effective AI, which is not only the ability to understand a human emotion, but to um, you know, produce it. So I, I think we're, we're getting there. What does this all mean? Well, as I said, people are both right and wrong. It's not a new technology. It's not perfect. Uh, it makes all kinds of mistakes, particularly factual. Um, but it doesn't work the way people may think of looking things up. And that means that its strengths are really pretty phenomenal. Um, and many people are saying that these developments in what's called natural language processing, or NLP, are as momentous as the printing press. I do think that the hype is warranted in the sense that it has been incredibly difficult to model language and produce language with a computer, and it's taken decades longer than we thought, and working with it, it's pretty clear that it's got some capabilities that are pretty unusual given that we could not give it directions on how to do that. So uh, everybody is right to some extent and we're just getting started and I'd be very curious to play with this new bard out of Google um, and also to see what is coming down the line. I get asked a lot what does this mean and I do think we have to think seriously about Um, whole sectors of unemployment it will take uh, years and how many years I I can't say obviously as uh, someone who teaches in higher education I think that there are some changes that will have to happen in many classrooms Um, so it's just a question of of how soon
0: you've been listening to radio AI podcast on GPT chat sentiment analysis and the shape of stories with Professor Katherine Elkins. Be sure to check out our website, www.radioai.net. Stay tuned for more cool Radio AI podcasts.